Good morning. It's, my name is Wally Mills. I'm a retired pastor after pastoring uh, full-time 40 years, and then in the last, shall I tell you, 10 years, I've been doing some interim work, and uh, it's my wife, Anita, and mine to be a part of uh, Harbor's family. And I have been asked if I would speak this morning, and it's my privilege and it's a great blessing to open God's Word with you today. Well, let me begin by just talking to you about a, a church. And I'll just mention it very briefly. In 1963, the University Christian Church in New York City closed their doors never again to reopen. And they posted a sign on the door that said, Gone out of business. because we didn't know what our business was. That's kind of a sad statement, isn't it? Gone out of business because we didn't know what our business was. If a church is going to be fruitful and fulfill its mandate, it needs to be filled with people who know what their business is know what their purpose is, know what their priorities are to the glory of God. But you know, life can be hectic. In the rush of modern life, it's easy to lose sight of our priorities, and under pressure, we tend to focus on what is urgent, but not always on what is important. So it's good to be reminded occasionally of what our priorities are as Christ's followers. And as you know, the last number of weeks, we've been studying the book of Luke. And Pastor Jeff has led us in this series that he's entitled, He is Risen, or He is Here. He is Risen. We'll say that next week, likely. And we're attempting to get to know Jesus better. And today, as I said, it's my privilege to consider Luke chapter 5, which highlights the activities that were extremely important to the Lord Jesus. And in Luke chapter 4 and chapter 5, the priorities of Jesus are vividly displayed, both in Jesus' life and also the experiences he leads Simon Peter through. So let me ask, have you thought about your priorities lately? Have you spent much time thinking about what you should spend your time on? Most people, including myself, we sometimes just go from day to day without ever just doing whatever we want and whatever we feel like doing without ever really asking ourselves what we should be focusing on. Which shows the truth of what one businessman once said. He said that there are two things that are difficult for most people to do. The first one he says is to think. <laughs> and the second thing is to do things in the order of their importance. You know, <clears throat> here in Luke chapter 4 and chapter 5, Jesus models the practices that demonstrate his priorities. And by virtue of being Christ's followers, we are called to walk in his footsteps. Whether you're in high school or you're in university or you're in business or some of you who are about to retire and, you know, wiggle your toes in the sand, I hope that you'll join me in this study today looking at Jesus' priorities for his life and ministry 
and ours. So let's look at what Jesus says about his own priorities. Last Sunday, we looked at the last verses of chapter 4 where Jesus enters into Capernaum. And as Jeff said, that section presents for us one of the busiest days of Jesus' life. Jesus started and finished his day by teaching the gospel to the people. And in between, he serves the needs of the people. And these amazing works of Jesus, these amazing miracles begin to happen. He exercises a, a number of demons, actually. He heals a fever. He cures many diseased people. And the people are amazed at the miracles he performs and the authority he possesses. Luke chapter 4 verse 42 says the people came to where he was and they tried to keep him from leaving that town. They wanted more of Jesus. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns also because that's why I was sent. Amen. That was one of Jesus' priorities. His first, perhaps his first priority the first and the second go together, but the first priority is preaching the gospel. That's why he was sent. It's his commission from God. And there are many instances in Jesus' ministry where the scripture says that he must do something. For instance, in John chapter 9, verse 4, it says, He said, I must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. The same idea is presented in John Chapter 4, verse 4, where the Bible says he had to go. He had to pass through Samaria. Why? He had to pass through Samaria to proclaim the gospel to one woman. A woman at the well. And then it says in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Whatever the Father, God the Father sent Jesus to do, Jesus did. Jesus is compelled to preach the gospel. He's driven by that divine purpose and he desires to please and obey his Father. And then after a long day, as I said earlier, of evening and into the evening of teaching and healing and casting out demons. Luke tells us in verse 42, the next morning, Jesus got up early while it was still dark. And he went out to a solitary place. And Mark gives us a little bit more information when he tells us why he went out so early in the morning. Mark says very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up left his warm, comfy bed. I guess I added that, but uh, he left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Amen. If you look ahead to Luke chapter 5, verse 16, there the scripture says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That introduces us to the second priority. His priority of prayer. No one has had more demands on their time than Jesus. No one has had a more powerful ministry than Jesus. And while Jesus is looking for a quiet place to pray, the people of Capernaum are scrambling to find Jesus. They want Jesus, who they know or have come to know, is planning to go to other cities and towns, and they wanted to prevent him from leaving town. They didn't want the miracles to stop. 
But Jesus said, I must go and preach the gospel. And prayer was his, the first priority in his daily schedule. He modeled regular dependence on God. So remarkable was the authenticity of Jesus' prayer life that his disciples didn't ask for a workshop on doing miracles. They didn't ask for help in sharing Jesus, although those would be good ones. The only time Jesus' disciples say, Lord, teach us, was when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Prayer was so central in every aspect of Jesus' life and ministry. One writer said there are more than 30 different instances in which Jesus taught and modeled prayer in his ministry. Dan Spader writes, prayer is not just a good idea and a long list. It is God's divine prescription for getting his work done. So we have these two. Presenting the gospel, sharing the gospel of the kingdom and prayer. And by virtue, as I've said earlier, of being Christ followers, we're called to walk in his footsteps. Prayer and sharing the gospel are our priorities as well. Luke now moves to a different story. Jesus is teaching the crowds in Lake Gennesaret, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee, which is a rather large, freshwater lake, 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. And Luke tells us in verse 1 of Luke chapter 5, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. The people are crowding him in order to hear the word of God. So Jesus looks for a resourceful way to teach the crowds. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. And it just so happens that boat belongs to Simon Peter. But Jesus is very intentional in all that he does. This is not the first time that Jesus has met Peter or Peter's met Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 40, it records Jesus' um, first introduction to Simon Peter. John the Baptist tells Andrew, that's Simon Peter's brother, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And Andrew runs and tells his brother, Simon Peter, that he found the Messiah. And these men continued to hear things about Jesus and they respected him. But they were not what you would call fully engaged followers. They were fishermen and in today's text, that's what they were doing. They were fishing the waters of the Sea of Galilee because that's the way they made their living. And usually was a great way to make a living because the water swarmed with fish, especially near the shore. The narrative now shifts from the large crowds to the fishermen. Like many times throughout Jesus' ministry, he would first teach the larger crowds and then he would give his most intimate and his personal instruction to his disciples. Things get a little interesting when Jesus finished teaching the people. This time, he teaches the disciples through a fishing derby. In verses 4 and 5, we read, And when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Jesus is instructing Simon to do something that goes against the best practices in fishing. Simon's first reaction was negative and pessimistic 
And he didn't think it was work, and so he says, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Trying to understand what Jesus was asking Simon to do here. Fishing was Simon's life. He was good at it. His father was probably a fisherman. And now Jesus, a carpenter, a teacher from Nazareth, was telling him how to fish. And Simon may have been thinking, look, Jesus, we know you're a great teacher. You teach us one having authority and no one speaks like you. But Jesus, fishing isn't your specialty. Fishing is our specialty. Do you not understand who the professionals are here? Now let me add a little disclaimer here. I've gone fishing about three times in my life. I caught fish once. I have no fishing stories to tell you. Everything I'm going to tell you about the fishing experience in Galilee is what I've read. But even I understand from what I've read that Jesus was making a difficult request of Simon. Jesus was speaking to a man who had worked hard the last 12 plus hours without any sleep and without any results. Here's a man who'd hauled in empty fishing nets and then examined them and then thrown them out over and over and over again. And now they're just finishing and they just finished cleaning the nets. Laid them out to dry so they'd be ready for the next night. Peter and the others are exhausted. They're discouraged and they're probably in a bad mood. And from what I've read, everyone who fished in that lake knew that you didn't catch fish during the daytime in the deep water. You do that at night. Peter was, was, <clears throat> Peter was fine with Jesus using his boat to teach the crowds, but now Jesus is asking Peter to pull into shore, load the heavy fishing nets into the boat, and row out into the deep water and throw out the nets again. It's probably approaching the middle of the day. The fish have retreated to hide in the cooler parts of the lake. And fishermen like to say, you know, your, best, your worst day fishing is better than your best day in the office. But I don't think Peter was saying that that day. Think with me for a moment. How do you feel when somebody who knows very little about your job comes along and gives you advice? How would you respond? Probably like I would with some attitude and a little twist in my voice. Peter could have said, look, Jesus, maybe some other time. That's a good line to use. We're tired. We want to go home, get some sleep. Simon could have made any number of excuses, and what he does say will change the entire course of his life. This is a moment of crisis in Peter's life. This is a pivotal decision. Would he trust Jesus? Would he would he obey, even though his friends would not be pleased to clean the nets again, even though it didn't make any sense to him, even though it went against everything he had been ever taught, even though it was going to mean more work for him, even though it might make him look foolish in front of his friends. I love what Peter says. But because you say so, we will do it. Which brings me to my third priority, and that is that we need to obey. Obey Jesus. 
even when it doesn't make sense. Across the centuries, believers have found those words to be their marching orders. Middle-aged Abraham set off across the desert with no more than this, but because you say so, I will go. Noah built an ark in the face of an unbelieving world with no more than this, but because you say so. Amen. Joshua marched around the city of Jericho day after day with this in his heart, because you say so. Don't miss an important principle. The life-changing moments come when we show genuine love for Christ by obeying him even though we don't see any possible payoff. Peter passed the test. He did what Jesus asked. He rowed out into the deep waters and he put out the net. And then as Jesus sat in the boat watching him, Simon began to pull in those same nets just as he had done over and over and over again the night before. But when Simon started pulling up these nets, he realized the nets were not coming up as easily as they had all night. They were heavy and it was taking considerable strength to reel them in. And in, the moment, in a moment he saw why. The nets were teeming with fish. So many fish that he quickly called James and John to bring their boat and help. And in the end, both boats were so full, so deep in the water, that the Sea of Galilee was threatening to spill over the edges and sink them. The catch was huge. This was a raw outpouring of authority on Jesus' part. A massive miracle. Simon Peter and the other onlookers that day saw the fish that were in the sea. They saw that the fish in the sea were obedient even to Jesus. In all their years of working these waters, they had never seen anything like this. This hall was more than their wildest dreams. Simon sees a tremendous miracle unveiling before his very eyes. And he's shaken and he's afraid. Peter has come face to face with the living God in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he recognizes his unworthiness and his sinfulness. And the Bible says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, depart from me because I am a sinful man. You know, people throughout, all through the Bible fall before the Lord Jesus. There are three reasons that normally cause people in the scripture to fall before Jesus. First, people fell before Jesus when they were begging him to come and do a miracle for them. In the synagogue, there was a ruler of the synagogue and he, his name was Jairus and his daughter was sick at home and he came before Jesus and he fell before him and he said, my, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hand on him that she may be healed and she will live. Second, people fall before Jesus because they were afraid. And finally, they fall before Jesus because they're worshiping him. I think Peter fell before Jesus out of fear. The miraculous catch of fish had amazed and overwhelmed Peter because it went against his professional knowledge. He was a skilled fisherman. This was his livelihood. He knew the best way to fish, and yet Jesus accomplished in one try what Peter couldn't do all night. Peter's come face to face with the one true and living God. Amen. Peter's been forced to set aside his own preconceived ideas 
of who he believed Jesus was and is. And he also came to grips with his own sinfulness and he finally recognizes his sin and he admits to Jesus just how sinful he is. People in such close proximity to the splendor of God must see their own inadequacy. And Peter is seized with fear and amazement. However, it's not only Peter who is captured by fear. His partners are working, who are working with him are also arrested. It says in verse 9, For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they took. And, as, and so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Simon confesses his own inadequacy before God, and he says, I can't. God, but you can. His, his partners are completely stunned as well as he is at what Jesus has done. And the Bible says that even James and John, the fearless sons of Zebedee, are afraid as well. What a shock. These guys that were bold and fearless. I have a story that's something like Peter's. For me, it was after I had completed my degree at Bible college. Anita and I had made plans to get married that fall in October. But during the summer, I accepted a call to pastor a small church west of Kekabeka Falls, 20 miles west of Thunder Bay. It's pulp and paper country. It was a country church, it was my first church. So late in August, I drove up to Kekabeka Falls, set up my living quarters in a classroom in the church. And the next morning, I got up and I began to think about where I was and what I was doing. I went out into the auditorium and I thought, what am I doing here? I don't know where to begin. And I began to doubt and I thought to myself, these people have called me. They're probably 50 people. And I have to teach them. I have to care for them. I have to lead them. And I'm way over my head. And I felt so alone and so inadequate. And I thought, where can I turn? There's no one I can call. It's before, it before cell phones and computers and Google and all those kinds of things. But I knew there was someone I could call. And I walked over to the front row seats, somewhere right down like that. I don't, know, I don't remember what I said, but I got down on my knees, and it was just a desperate cry for help. And I don't know how long I was there, but I got up, something like what Jeff was saying in his time apart. I got up, and I was still the only human being there. But something had changed. I didn't feel alone anymore. There were still challenges ahead of me, but I knew God was with me, and he heard my prayer, and I stood up to teach and to care and to lead people for the glory of God. Amen. And as Mark said a few weeks ago, and he experienced, God's grace is sufficient for you. For my strength, Jesus said, or Paul said, is made perfect in weakness, Jesus said to him. And that's our, that's our testimony and that's our story. 
This was a definite life-changing encounter in the lives of these fishermen. No longer were they going to follow Jesus on a part-time basis. Jesus would be the center of their life. And Jesus challenges Simon and his companions with a new set of priorities. And the disciples are called away from fishing to pursue men for God's glory and for God's kingdom. In verse 10, Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. And they pulled up their boats on shore and they left everything and followed him. And from now on, they were all in. You know, that begins for all of us when Jesus comes to us in the middle of our lives, where we work, where we live, in the classroom, the hospital, the office, the kitchen. He asks us to trust him enough to do one strange thing, like fishing in the deep water, in broad daylight. It's the kind of thing that's a bit out of the box, you know, but that's often where Jesus' call comes to us where we least expect it, where we fail, where we feel we are in over our heads, where we feel uncomfortable, when we sense our own inadequacy. Jesus doesn't typically walk into our lives where we feel in control, where we are confident in our own successes. It's in our places of vulnerability and confusion and failure and sin. He likes to get us out into the deep water in broad daylight where we're called to trust him and him alone. This raises a question. Why did the Lord bring about this miracle? Was it because he wanted to see Simon Peter's fishing business prosper? Was he simply meeting a physical need? I don't think so. The primary reason was to teach Simon and others something about who Jesus is. And only God has the kind of power over nature that can tell hundreds of fish to climb into a net and have them obey. This miracle, as every other miracle that Jesus performed while he was on earth, served this purpose. This is why his miracles were given. They were his credentials. He didn't have identification cards with Messiah embossed on it. The only way that this could, they could possibly come to know that he was really the promised Messiah sent from God was by listening to his words and watching his works. And every miracle that he performed was an open declaration that he was sent from God. Amen. And we're told at the end of it all, so when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Could you imagine Peter going back to fishing after all of that? Who'd want to just catch fish anymore? Well, I do have to tell you, Though that Peter did go back to his old way of fishing just once. You see, he blew it badly. You'll probably hear maybe about this this, this Friday, Good Friday. When Jesus was arrested and taken away by the authorities, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. And he let him down. He felt very unworthy again. How could God use him now? But that's, when we read, that's, but that's when we read what happened at the end of the Gospel of John. Two years after this first fishing experience, they have this other event. Jesus had died on the cross. He had risen from the dead. 
the disciples are trying to come to grips with all of that and what it would mean. The disciples go back to that same lake, like the Sea of Galilee. And we read, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias or Galilee. And in this way he showed himself, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. And Simon said to them, I'm, I don't know what's going on with Jesus, but I'm going fishing. Now isn't that just like Peter? When you're blown it, you just give up. You go back to the things you're familiar with. And he wasn't alone in this. The other disciples said, we're going with you as well. And they went out. They immediately get into a boat. And that night they caught nothing. Think of that. They fished all night, caught nothing. By the way, is anything beginning to sound familiar? A man appears in the shore and he yells to them, have you caught anything? And Simon Peter answers, no. Just a little bit of seaweed and some sticks. And the man on the shore said to them, throw your net into the right side of the boat and you will find. Can you imagine what Peter's thinking at this moment? So they cast. And now they were not able to draw in because the multitude of the fish. It's deja vu. Then John said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment because he'd removed it and he plunged into the sea and the other disciples came in the little boat because they weren't very far from land, dragging the net with fish. Peter couldn't wait. And then as soon as they come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you've caught. And Simon Peter went and he dragged the net in full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, come and eat. And yet none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you, knowing it was the Lord? I'm sure that Jesus did all of that to encourage all of the disciples, but especially he did it for Simon Peter. Simon Peter had failed. He'd reverted back to his old life and his old work, but that didn't change the fact that Jesus had called him a fisher of men. This is the way it is today. People look at the tasks we're commanded to do, and they sometimes feel that the request is too big. Evangelizing the world, reaching our own country, even sharing with some of our family members sometimes seems too big. Seems beyond our abilities and beyond our skill and beyond our energies and we get discouraged and we question whether the job can get done. However, every task Christ has given us is possible. It's not mission impossible. The task is completed. The job will be done. It has been guaranteed. People from every nation and language and tribe on earth, the Bible says, will bow down and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. It's beyond our abilities. It's beyond our ingenuities. It's beyond our skills. But Christ will accomplish the task for his glory and do so through you and me. Amen. An example from history 
is the church in China. In 1951, Mao, the communist leader, kicked out all the missionaries out of China. It became a closed country with no access for missionaries who wished to preach the gospel. Will the church in China die without people sharing with them? When Mao kicked out the missionaries in 1951, there were five million Christians, they tell me. According to one website that I went to, today there are almost 100 million Christians in China. That's a higher percentage than the pop. That's 6.8% of the population, which is essentially what it is in Canada. And this with no missionaries allowed. It seemed impossible that the church would grow in a closed country. And yet through scripture and history, God is pleased to move people where he can, where the people don't think he can move. And we doubt his purposes that God has given to us, but it's, if we follow by faith, we will see it done. For most of us today, the call of Christ means going back to work tomorrow. With a new resolve, I trust. With a new determination to serve Jesus Christ on the job. It may mean that we're going back into the classroom determined to be a disciple for Christ no matter what anyone else may say or do. It may mean staying right where you are even in the midst of a personal difficulty as a part of your faithfulness to Christ. But I want you to remember the priorities and to do them in their order of importance. Pray. Share the gospel. Confess your own inadequacy. Respond and follow through. For Peter and the others following Christ meant leaving behind the old life, including the incredible catch of fish, giving up the boats and their nets and their livelihood and following Christ in the un into the unknown. And letting go must always come first. The word for follow means to walk the same road. That's what a disciple does. He walks the same road as Jesus. He gets on the Jesus road and he follows it wherever it may lead. No guarantees, no deals, no special promises. He simply walks the road every day. Amen. Wherever he leads me, as we sang earlier, whatever it costs, I'll follow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this amazing story. The principles that are fleshed out in Simon's life and, and his fe fellow partners. Lord, we pray that you would do that in our lives today as well. Wherever you lead us, whatever costs us, we'll follow you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With that, my friends, Harbor, we are sent.